what did they say? Third time's a charm? More like 30. Let's see if you can get it right this time. Hey, it's Sachet, and this is The Conscious Creator Show. Through exclusive interviews with authors, actors, entrepreneurs, musicians, other podcasters, and all kinds of creators, we'll explore how to make a life through your art without selling your soul. The creative side of business and the business side of being a creator, if you will. We've got a host of amazing partners like Brain.fm and other amazing companies. So head on over to creators.show, that's C-R-E-A-T-O-R-S dot show to get new episodes, exclusive guides, partner deals, and more. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to the first episode. We've got a really special guest for you today. So I actually met Phil through my friend Eric when he sent me an email and asked me if I if I wanted to meet with his performance coach. I had no idea who Phil was. And I went to his site and I just started looking at all of the names that he's worked with. Um, Metallica, Super Bowl champions, business leaders. And I was just blown away. I've been lucky enough for the last few months to actually work with Phil and he is one of the reasons why this podcast exists, um, and you'll find that out during the interview. And so when I started this, there was no question who the first guest was going to be. This is also Phil's only second appearance on a podcast. The first one was with my good friend Chris Lockhead on the Follow Your Different podcast. So it's just an amazing conversation. We covered things like how he finds fulfillment in helping others become the front man of their dreams, which he's done for me, how he himself moves move past egoic uh, motivations to find his true calling, how a crisis can be a gift because it can help you refocus, how we can make serving others a priority that will help us connect with our higher selves. And then I think this is something that I'm super interested in, which is how fame itself has become an outcome rather than a tool. And um, fame, we don't really understand it. And trying to achieve fame as an end game is actually just an illusion. Phil shares the moment he's most happy before any concert or public appearance. And um, one of my favorite quotes from this conversation is from Phil is, the people that have achieved at the highest level that I've worked with are no different than anybody else. Perhaps we could say they did not allow their fears to become more important than their dreams. So as you're listening, think about that. Where are you letting your fears become more important than your dreams? And there's one more thing that's super special about this episode. While I was working with Phil, he actually sent me a song that he himself wrote 40 years ago. So we actually start the episode with lyrics from that song. And as a huge honor, Phil is actually allowing us to debut that song that he wrote and sang 40 years ago. So listen to the whole episode. And then at the end, we're so excited to share Phil's song, Hitching a Ride with You. So hope you enjoy this incredible conversation. I've I've just, I've gotten to know Phil over the last three months and he's changed my life in more ways than I could have even imagined. And I hope you take away as much as I did from this. Enjoy the show. Phil, thank you for doing this. We're going to start this a little bit differently. I've personally been working with Phil for the last couple of months. And I think during our second call, Phil actually sent me a song that turns out he recorded about 40 years ago. So I'm going to start by just reading some of the lyrics from the song. And then at the end of this interview, we'll have the whole song. It's going to be the debut of the song. Let's, let's start with that. So you start off the song with hitching a ride on the back of my dreams, trying to latch on to the big brass ring. Won't be satisfied till I am there. Want to be somebody going to get somewhere. So Phil, take us back to when you wrote that song. At that time of your life, uh, obviously you've had this amazing career. Who did Phil want to be? Sasha, thank, first of all, thanks so much for, for inviting me. It's a real wonderful pleasure to share this with you and, and the audience. Uh, who I, I think that song represented very much, Hitching a Ride in the Back of My Dreams, meant that I knew that I was wanting to get to some place beyond where I was. And so that song turned out, in retrospect, to, to be really a compass toward where I become, I think. And although I, looking back on it now, who I am now is uh, layers beyond that, I think. So the, the purpose of that song was, I wrote songs back in that day, and the songs 
and I write poems now, as you know, when I write, it's really primarily for my own. It's like a, a mantra that I use to, to help myself motivate me toward where I want to go. So that song was about, let's don't settle for less. Don't get in your own way. Search for your upside. And we're going to get into this more. You've obviously had this amazing career working with Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, all of these amazing bands. Were you doing that at that point or did that come after? I was, what I was doing at that point was psychotherapy. I had a, a long, rich career in psychotherapy. And I was on the verge of making some transformations later on into working, using psychology to help people achieve their highest potential. But at that particular point in time, I think my subconscious was, or my psyche was, the soul part of me was ahead of where I, you know, my conscious mind was. So I was doing psychotherapy at that point in time. Can you talk a bit more about that? Uh, the soul part being ahead of where your conscious mind was? Because I think a lot of people feel that they have this sort of like creative gift inside them, right? But they're either not working on it or they're stuck in a job. So how did that feel for you? And, and how did you go from there to really doing what you wanted. Looking back on who I am now and how I've morphed into who I am at this particular point in time, everything that I did in earthly terms, successful or failure, has been part of getting to where I am now. At that particular point in time, I was ambitious. My ego drove the, the was my transportation. I knew inside of me that there was more that I needed to accomplish or there's something on earth that I was here to, to, to accomplish that I thought would be special, but I didn't have an idea of what that would be. I just sort of was pushed by what I think considered to be the guidance, the compass, as I was saying. There's, there's a guidance system inside of us that has to, that's spiritually driven by our relationship with a higher power. And I sensed it, but I didn't... I was more stubborn and self-centered and driven by my ambition as the picture that I thought I wanted to be. And that was to make a difference, which is, I think I have, but it was also more egocentric. It was about people paying attention to me. And I've learned over a period of time, I don't know whether this is where, where this is more than you're asking me, but I've learned over a period of time that where I was then was not about being the front man of a band myself, but so, metaphorically, but it was about being someone who helped other people become the front man of their, of their dreams. Mm -hmm. How did you make that distinction between being the front man yourself versus being the, or helping others be the front man? Because we've had a lot of conversations about that. Yes. Because you are, you are a front man. There's no question about it. So I, I've been blessed by being a part of other people's lives, helping them achieve their highest potential to be the front man of their dreams. And I learned that when I pushed, when my ego was pushing me, when I was following my, the part of me that wanted to be what I would call self-centered, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel in my own skin. And I also tripped and, and fell at different times over myself, trying to be the one that people paid attention to. When I am helping other people fulfill themselves, that's where my satisfaction, fulfillment, and my calling is. There's no question about it. So I don't have that kind of need or want at this particular point in my life, having evolved to the point of greater, some people would say, maturity. But it took, you know, it took winning and losing, it's, you know, there's a, I use those words in that song. It took making mistakes. It took uh, finding out, you know, what my feeling that in the center of my successes and being in the center of my successes would be the joy I had at helping other people. And I think everybody can pay attention. I think everybody understands that because I think we're all in here, especially at this time of our civilization. We're all in here to serve other people in some respects, and we're all. Well, we might be the front, the front man of some project we're doing. We're all the, the, the best part of us is, is in serving whatever is the greater good. Mm -hmm. So first of all, thank you for saying that about me being the front man. Um, You're welcome. You definitely are. helped me understand that better. One thing I struggled with during that process was because you talk about uncom feeling uncomfortable, right? And definitely for me doing this, doing a lot of this stuff has felt uncomfortable. How 
does someone who's a creator make the distinction whether the uncomfort the uncomfort or discomfort is just part of the process of what they're going for or it's because they're not doing the right thing that is a profound question mr frontman that that i think is really important thank you for raising that question and i would like to steer that question i'll have my own response but i would like everybody who's listening to this podcast to pay attention to that point when is discomfort healthy and when it is it, when is it not when is it helping us push ourselves face ourselves so that we can reevaluate the direction and the speed with which we're going in that direction versus when is it something that is trying to tell us to stop or to go to go to, that we're that we're not paying attention to our value system or the purpose of our being on this earth at that point so for me trial and error one of the wonderful things about life is we most of us have a number of years with which to experiment with the answer to that question one of the things that happens is oftentimes a crisis which can be de- de- defined i i would define a crisis how would i define a crisis i would define a crisis as a self-inspired or spiritually inspired interruption or intervention in a direction that i'm heading that needs to be reevaluated and what the crisis is not just the event that happens to us or the things that appear to be out of our control or appear to be happenstance the crisis is it is a gift upon looking back at it when i've converted it converted a crisis a, a crisis the intention of crisis is to help me refocus and it what we tend to do with crises in our society oh, i'd be interested in what people think about this you and others i think what we try to do is avoid crisis and and when crisis comes we try to offload it on somebody else we blame somebody else and or we try to nullify it or get around it or get through it quickly and yet i think it's since it's co-produced by us whether unconsciously or consciously or whether it's externally appearing to be as externally driven is a great opportunity for us it's just be it just seems some to me like sometimes my greatest growth steps have come through pain mm-hmm. and is that something you've seen in a lot of the clients that you've worked with if you can share examples i th- i think you know like yes there isn't uh, anybody that i have worked with that hasn't first of all people generally come to me they did so in psychotherapy they did so in performance coaching they generally come to me because they're stuck or there's something that they feel uncomfortable about and so that there are a gazillion examples in in my in my career and in my life where that's been that's affirmed for me what i've just concluded what i said moments mm-hmm. ago would it be fair i mean would you be open to I haven't asked you permission but would you be open to to share um maybe how that works for you in your life for your audience so I think as a frontman uh, truly Sasha as a frontman you your influence you could you could help people influence people with some of your own perhaps life challenges that you are facing or have faced that you would consider to be at one point crises that would be that would illustrate how you how you handle that that'd be great if you'd be willing to do that Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things for me is with this is if I'm asking a question, being able to answer it myself. So happy to share that. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from our work together was how I've basically spent almost a decade behind the scenes working with people and helping them create platforms and learning these stories that drove that, and through that realizing. actually what i wanted to do always was be that person and felt that what i created or could create would not be good enough so supporting others became a basically a way for me to still stay in the game oh good point even now that i'm doing it um and that's why i asked the question about uncomfort or discomfort right it's still scary like i think people have this belief that 
people who they look up to or aspire to, they don't face fear or they don't face discomfort. The biggest thing I've learned from working with people who are quote unquote at the top of the game is they still face that and they just take action. And actually, I'm curious, like with all the amazing people that you've worked with, what, what are things that you see that are common in them? And also what are things that are about them that are different that separate them from everyone else who doesn't make that leap? You know, that's a, that's another really thoughtful question. And thanks for your answer about yourself. I, I think the, what I think I said earlier, I believe I said front man of our, for our dreams. I feel like every one of us is under an underachiever. I think we've been blessed with God-given gifts and our responsibility is to, to leave those gifts. I, I often say like leave those gifts on the play, playground or the playing field of life because there's only one sachet on this planet in this form. It's only one to fill on this, in this form on, on our planet. So my obligation is to be filled whole. That's, that's my obligation, right? And I think we become, we're inspired by heroes who oftentimes are ones we want to emulate. And the best part of the emulating of that is to recognize that they have found a way to achieve at a high level in their own profession or in their own calling or in their own lives. It makes no difference who we are and what we're doing. On Earth, we evaluate, you know, we value people who are making millions of dollars over people who are making less. We value people who are famous over people who are ordinary, if you will, or have ordinary lives. But our responsibility, if we were all on this planet, if we were all living up to our, our full potential, we wouldn't have wars. We wouldn't have any need for the, the trouble that we have conjured up along the way. It's, it's trying hard to be who we're not. Mm-hmm. Or, or sacrificing our dreams, whatever those dreams are, that creates, in some ways, creates mental illness. In many ways, in my work in, in psychology, depression, I mean, I've learned that depression and, and my own depression or my own anxiety, for example, those are two common, commonly owned diagnoses, right? And we all share in that. We've all been anxious, afraid. We've all been depressed. In many ways, those are symptoms of unfulfilled potential. When I try to allow my fear, or when I allow my fear, the, you know, the obstacles, my own self-doubt, when I allow that to decide for my dreams. So I think which, where you're leading us today, which I really, really respect, is what I get out of, because I see, I see the audience now in my own mind. I see, I see people who are listening. I can't see their faces, but I, I believe they're drawn to this message and that they're drawn, you all out there are drawn to, the, to Sachi and the program because there's a part of you that, would long, that longs to fulfill your highest potential. So there's always going to be fear. Uh, anybody who, getting back to the, the central part of your question, the people who have achieved at the highest level that I've worked with are no different than anybody else. Perhaps we could say they did not allow their fears to become more important than their dreams. But we'd have to say, with, 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 and we all follow famous people, every famous people that we know, person that we know, carries with them unresolved fears. So that you can, you can make a hit record or you can become uh, successful and win something and you can start a great business and you can be, and you can be making money and gaining recognition, and you still carry unfinished business in your personality. So one of the things that I notice about people who, that I've worked with who are famous or who've accomplished at a high level is their fame or their achievements outstripped early, early on, outstripped their personality's ability to keep up. So the personality, you know, for example, somebody who gets a hit, hit album or uh, starts to build a name for themselves in the in the music world. That person, oftentimes, or persons, oftentimes are will ride the wave of the external validation at the expense of their own personality, which d- doesn't still, for example, doesn't deserve the success or feels that they don't aren't worthy of the success. If they feel they aren't worthy of the success, then they may turn to ways to relieve that pain because they're getting all this adoration from 80,000 people or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
or you know, in a, in a concert, or millions of people, you know, loving their music or whatever. And when they when they get that, that's a drug that intoxicates, and it numbs that part of their personality that has that has still un, that is still uncomfortable. That hasn't been that hasn't been worked like the music has been worked. You know, they aren't they go in the studio, they work their asses off to get a great song or great songs, but they don't sit down and work their personalities. And for those of you out there listening who want to do more with your lives, please pay attention to your own personalities and the things, the personalities and the and the part of you that may unintentionally get in the way of your ambition. You still may achieve that, or it may take you longer to achieve it. But when you achieve it, you still have work to do. So consider doing some of that work now. Talking about what you know, what what am I searching for here? I think Phil Toll back in when he wrote that song was searching for validation, external validation to replace my own self worth. So you you can't external validation can never replace self worth or self doubt, right? So those are the th- some of the things. The, the great ones, are the ones that we uh, admire, we see also fall from grace. We see them trip. We see that in politics all the time, for example, now. We see a lot of our the people we want to worship or we want to admire, and they disappoint us. So that's another story. But I think for the audience, the, the people that are tuning in here, it's really important for you to be aware of your own God-given gifts, your own motives behind why you want to achieve what you want to achieve. If it's to overcome yourself, the achievements won't do it. They will temporarily relieve you, but they won't do it. I'll pause here. That was a long, well, that was long, wasn't it? (laughs) I think that was great. Um, Thank you. I think there's actually great examples recently with movies, um, Rocket Man telling Elton John's story and Bohemian Rhapsody telling Queen's story about how that happened. When you're, working with someone who's going through that or let's say someone has had some level of success and they're going through that especially when you're getting all of this external validation right it's it's hard to look inward so what does that look like and what does that balance of still working on your craft and and achieving and also doing the inner work look like that ties in with what you were talking about before astutely addressing the issue of crisis that's where crisis comes into play when the pain of avoiding our personality evolution hurts enough, then we start paying attention. And when we pay attention, you know, and you've identified beautifully that for people who are very successful, who get intoxicated, to use my word, intoxicated, they can be intoxicated by drugs or booze, but they can be intoxicated by the fame, lose touch with their need to, to grow themselves, will even distance themselves further from their pain because they are the, the, the intoxicating adoration that they get. And so when, it, when I'm working with them, if they aren't hurting enough, if the hurt isn't enough, if they're not honest about the unhappiness that accompanies the, their journey in the illustration that you're using, they won't face themselves because they can go on to the next hit or they can go on to the next concert, they can get their fix, they can get their uh, adoration drug, you know, it's hard to get the leverage. So they have to have, there has to be enough. It's sort of like an alcoholic that has to hit bottom, right? You know, we talk about that. Mm-hmm. Anybody talks about that, that's common knowledge. Somebody, or any of us, when we, or when we continue to perpetuate behaviors, thoughts, behaviors, actions that are beating our heads against the wall, we finally get bloody enough to be able to say, Maybe I need to change up some shit here. So do you feel there almost has to be some sort of crisis or a rock bottom moment? Or has there other examples where maybe you work with someone and then they didn't need that to still be able to transform? I think that it's, yes, it's certainly possible for someone to be smart enough or it's like a business, like a, a business owner, a visionary mm-hmm. uh, that I work with they, that they if they can build an infrastructure, you know, they, they have a vision of a product or a service. You understand that really well. And if the product and service is, a, if that process as a founder, a visionary, uh, is accompanied by building a platform of an infrastructure 
of that can serve the product or service that can complement with an E, supplement the vision with, with people surrounding that person, then they're building for the distance. They're, they're going for the mm-hmm. distance. They're not building for that first breakthrough so they can sell the company in a couple of years and make a billion dollars. There, there are a lot of iterations that successful companies have had to go through. There are probably some, I'm not, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to responsibly comment on which ones I think uh, have built a, a more lasting, enduring mm-hmm. situation. Uh, perhaps a, a public issue that, it's, that we're all familiar with is, is Facebook and some of what it's now, or Uber, you know, some of the companies that have been very successful are now having to pick up some pieces or having to retreat into some some places that they were, you know, while they were riding the wave and everything was fine and the, the business was building itself, there wasn't necessarily a need that there is like there is now to, to go back and patch up some holes or make some changes. So there are companies, there are individuals with who are who can teach us that that there is a sensible way to go about success. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, a way that's harder, but the journey is always. I mean, the journey always. Not you know, there are people that die before their time. There are people who seem to be tragic figures in this process of sec- of fame and success. But they teach us. They're brave, and they teach us through their own tragedies. Let's say to pay more attention to what we're talking about. So anybody who's listening right now can, if they pay pay more attention. There's, you know, it's not too late to change certain things. It's not too late to look inside ourselves and go, what do I need to do to get to be a better man? What do I need to do to be a better woman? What do I need to be a better leader? What do I need to do to be a better artist? All of those things are within our grasp if we are a little bit more patient and more self-reflective. And I think our society, as troubled as it is, shows us there are a lot of people in your generation who are paying attention to what we're talking about. So I would predict that there will be always tragic figures or people that demonstrate the flaws of, of what we're talking about. And there will be people like yourself who, and others listening to the program who are, who are, are, are human beings who are paying attention at an early stage to what, is it, what you intuitively, intuitively know is a way for you to, to best achieve and maintain your achievement and your health with it and the health of the people around you with it. Mm-hmm. I, I love the visual of sort of like these two different sides. And one thing I was actually curious about, since you mentioned that, is fame. I feel that we're living in a society right now where a lot of people with the whole stuff, Instagram and the Kardashians, fame in itself, instead of being a tool to achieve something, has become the outcome. And Very well said. You work with a lot of people who have been at that highest levels of fame, what do people not understand about fame? We don't understand fame until we get there. When we look at fame, we look at it through the eyes of of worshiping fame, okay? And there, you know, when when I listen to the people who are famous talk about their struggles, and when I, and I have great empathy for famous people who, who lose their privacy, uh, who surrender their, um, their privacy, their, their beings to ownership, to society's ownership. And it's fickle. We build up our famous and we tear them down when, they're, when we're through with them. We discard them, we replace them with something, someone else. And, the, and fame, fame is not an easy thing. Not, I mean, I clearly know that I could not handle that. Okay? Fame is, is for those people who can. And those people are, they are pioneers in our society. They are people who, who rally us around themes that are important for us to take a look at. They inspire us to be better at what we do. But fame in itself, as an end game, like you're saying, mm-hmm. is duplicitous. It is, it is a trick. It's, a, it's, it's an illusion. There's a lot that gets sacrificed. You know, when I talk about you know driving around town or being with people who are famous, and they they, they can't go anyplace without being intercepted, 
And if they don't sign an autograph being chastised or condemned, because we, the public, think we own the rights to them. What a tragedy that is. And we're complicit. We create that. We, we do that to our society. Our, you know, we build the Kardashians. Dare I say we build Donald Trump. We do. We build. We create those people that can entertain us. The danger, a danger, in addition to what I've already said, a danger as a spectator is that we perhaps would be better serving our time being inspired to achieve our highest potential, to be the front man of our dreams, instead of riding the wave of somebody else. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to look at that. I think, as I say, like money and fame just magnifies who you are. So can you share maybe stories of people who actually use getting fame or money for good and were on the other side, examples from people you work with or someone else? Yeah, so there, there are no perfect, uh, you know, there's nobody who's human. Uh, none of us is, is perfect and none of us is without mistakes and failures. And, and so any of the great humanitarians on this earth, like, uh, let's say, uh, there have been documentaries recently about Bill Gates. Uh, you know, there are a lot of really wonderful people, human people who are devoting their wealth and their recognition to serving humanity. Everybody I've ever worked with has has built into their, their responsibility for being famous some project or projects that serve humanity. And when that's done from the heart, and it is done from the heart with the people that I know, I mean, when I think about who they are, the people I've worked with, they know that certainly some of that is, let's look at it, money. Okay, if you, it's a tax break, right? So for some people, it's a tax break. Even if it's a tax break, to give large sums of, some, sums of money to a, a cause, it still is a wonderful thing. And you can't say that, that just because some part of them wants to do it for tax reasons or some tax attorney tells them that this would be good to do it, they, they do it for that reason, that they aren't serving humanity. There are some, some that I've worked with that do it because they, they're paying for their own, psychologically paying for their own guilt about something. We all do. I, we all do. Good. I've done many things in my life. I'm not thinking about anything specifically right now, but I've done many things in my life in a moment to whether I, with, I was, if I was honest with myself, was to purge my guilt about something. Okay, but there, but there is an intrinsic part of every one of us. Think about it, audience. There's an intrinsic part of every one of you that understands that a part of our psychological, no, part of our spiritual DNA is to serve our brother and sister. There is no question about it. And there's not a human being alive that when you do something for somebody else feel, that doesn't feel good or even better than you would if you were serving yourself. So we've gotten off the track a little bit as humanity. Mm -hmm. And it would be really cool if we paid attention to service as our priority. That if I look at this program as, and I'm, I think I'm doing that right now, if I look at this program as an opportunity to serve, not as a way for me to get recognition. And I think that's what, you know, that's an attitude. It doesn't mean that there isn't a part of me that's pleased with being blessed to be on your podcast so that I can get some, uh, an audience to listen to my ideas. I'm grateful for that. But I'm not, but my, but this is all coming spontaneously. And so mm -hmm. I, I can tell that this is heartfelt and is directed from a place of, of what I want to be doing for, for humanity, not for Phil Toll. So how do we connect people back to that core of service that exists in all of us and maybe we've gotten lost with all of the other stuff that we try and I'm compelled to ask you for some reason, and I, have, I may have some thoughts about that, but what do you think, Sachin? What, do you, what would you either do for yourself or maybe pledge to your audience? I don't know. Seriously, what would you do to, to answer that question for you. And while, while Satchit is, is doing that, everybody, please listen to him, but also think about that for yourselves. Maybe you can take away from this program today that Satchit is offering us uh, the, the challenge to, maybe you can write into him and let him know of a project that you're doing to serve your brothers and sisters that came out of this discussion. Mm -hmm. 
I love that challenge. I think for me, over the last year has been sharing more of my story because the thing I, that I heard that I did not expect was people started seeing themselves in my story. And, and through that, they were able to yeah. learn, learn more about themselves. Because I think that's what our DNA is as a species, right? We sat around the campfire and shared stories to make sense of the world. So with this show and everything else, that's sort of the objective is share stories of other people and, and through that share my story so people can learn from that and, and hopefully see themselves in this. Thank you. What do you think, everybody? That's, that's, please, please take this opportunity to uh, share with, with Sachin more directly. I know you will, but I, I just think this is a nice moment in, the, in our discussion today to, to contemplate that. And thank you, Sachin, for, for you know, giving us a, a glimpse into your motives. And, and this will be part of, I'm sure, your podcast going forward. Will be, that will be part of your purpose. Mm-hmm. And so what are your thoughts on that? Uh, frame it for me uh, just a little bit more uh, than because I'm right, I'm right in the center of you right now. Just to frame it again for me. So let's say someone comes to you and wants to work with you and they have had some success. They, they see all the fame they're getting, the money, and, and, and maybe for them that is the objective, right? And, and they're just trying to get more of that. And they're coming to you for maybe just performance coaching. How do you help them in that case? And then actually two parts. One is connecting them back to service and purpose part of the performance coaching. And if it is or if it isn't, either way, how do you help them do that? So I think it is part of my message to people. It's part of what, if I, if I can convey that through my own actions. What I was thinking, which reminded me of was one of the things that think happens, like when I'm working with a band, okay, and the band is struggling with its own relationships. It's like a family, or it's like a, a business culture, or it's like a team sport when the team is not synchronized working with each other. So come being called in to serve in those in business, sports, and entertainment, for example, there's a common thread of people wanting to be a part of a cause. If you're a part of a team that wants to win so you can be, win a championship, if you're a business that wants to produce financial reward, if you're a band that wants to achieve artistic success and recognition for your creativity, when you're doing it together, number one, you can't do it without each other, right? I mean, you, that, it's, mm-hmm. it's, that, you can't. There's, not, there's no solo performance. There's no solo act that achieves anything of greatness on its own. I mean, you just don't do it. You can't. I mean, there's, there's always somebody that's accompanying you, you, as you, in your, on your journey. So the team aspect attracts my attention right away. And oftentimes there's team conflict. There's the egos are clashing over who makes the decisions, whether it's artistic decisions or business decisions uh, in, in business, whether it's, you know, what, what projects, what people you serve, you know, client base, uh, what, what, you know, what's your purpose for being that? Mm-hmm. So, so intrinsic to success is the obvious. If, uh, right now, my mind in the second is thinking about the global divisiveness that it's in every country and every, you know, America's divided. Everybody is, is scrambling around to serve themselves first. We aren't going to be successful as a human race until we find a way to collaborate. Collaboration has to become more important than self-serving. Self-serving becomes more important when we're afraid. When I'm afraid of you, or I'm afraid that you're going to be better than, I'm jealous of you, or if I'm, if I want to, if my position is to to enter into an, an interaction with you to try to win an argument or whatever it is, we're done. And so many times, where in my work, I'm invited in to a team process that has been disabled from inside. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that we pay attention to is that disablement and what we can do with that. And the key or a key is if I'm part of a band and we're a duet, is me learning to care about Sachet more than Phil. 
truly learning to listen to Satchit and what he wants me to think about, what, what he wants to say, what he's concerned about, even if it's painful. Mm-hmm. And for me to be able to get inside of Satchit to the point where I, you feel me there and we feel together on that and you do the same thing with me. So that service that you were talking about, that we're all talking about now, is an, uh, an automatic priority that, that comes with healing. You know, out there, there, there are friends out there that you all have. There are, you're in relationship. You're in, you're in partnerships. You're in marriages. You're in, every one of you out there is in situations where there is some part of that that could be improved. It starts with you, not them. It starts with you acknowledging what your part in it is. Maybe it starts with an apology. Maybe it starts with, hey, I'd like to reset our relationship. What it does is it begins the act of service in a way that makes it easier then for a band to be thinking about serving its its audience differently. What does the audience want? What, Mm -hmm. you know, the business, what is the audience, what is the uh, business partnership between the customer and the, the server? What, what does a customer really need? What do they want? Am I trying to impose my, my vision on my customers? Mm-hmm. Or am I in joint am I in collaboration with them? So that's, to me, the profound answer to the profound question of how we can operate more successfully as teammates and why service is so important to ourselves individually, because it's, it's so pleasing to know that I, that it's pleasing to you to know that you that you've connected with Phil, and it's pleasing to Phil to know that it, that I've connected with you, and then that means that then inspires me to want to do more for you. It inspires me to want to do more for us. That's the kind of thing that that's the mentality, and it's not hard to do. It's just that we build our lives around self-preservation so much that it feels foreign. We don't trust each mm-hmm. other, so you know, we th- we think we know. One more thing: we think we know more. Then yeah, about I think I know more about you and who you should be, right? You should be my mm-hmm. expectation. So, so can you share a specific example, either from a band you work with or a business or a sports team, without saying who it is, of how that was happening and you went in and helped them? What comes to my mind is with the bands. One of the things I'm most happy about is that for all of the bands that I've worked with. I think all of them, for certainly with some, with some of them that people know about, is that we, they, before every concert, before every public appearance, we do a prayer. They come together in, in a prayer. Now, it's not me imposing my spiritual values or anything like that. It's me recognizing that they need to have a moment before they go on, a moment that signals we're together, we're gonna to play together, we're gonna to play for our audience, we give praise to our audience. There are, some of my, some of the people I've worked with are very fundamental Christian. Some are more uh, combined, a lot of religions in their, they don't have any formal religious thing, but when they get together to talk beforehand, they get this stage, they get the, the band members, the supporting band crew, they, you know, the pay acknowledgement to, the whole process. And I think that's a, that's a moment when what we're talking about is celebrated, acknowledged, and it's a moment of truth, no matter when we say, give grace to our, our relationships, when we give gratitude to our relationships. In that moment of time, we are speaking the truth about ourselves, our love for one another, and the human beings that we come in contact with. So all the other stuff, the jealousies, the rivalries, the competitions, the abuse, the fatigue, the frustration, the uh, conflict, all of that is, it's about an earthly departure from the truth. It's, it's our human personalities wrestling with, our, with our, you know, acting out. It is mm-hmm. not the truth. So those, what, those issues come to my mind they may not be the drama that you would like, you know, and it may be more sensational thing or other thing, but being able to help them, help those people, help them see, just experience that. Mm-hmm. Now they do it without me and it, I, it's not necessary because they do, they do what they need to do with that. 
So it could be a prayer, it could be a, just an affirmation, it could be an acknowledgement, but it's, it's taking a time out. What would it be like if, if, if our businesses took time? Some of them probably do. We take time out in the, before we started the day at a moment of silence and the respect for our brother at a moment of, of coming together and starting the day that way. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like, so actually, I have a friend who recently separated from a company he had been part of a long time for a long time. And he was talking about how he was meeting with his partner to discuss a separation. And before they started, he started with, I'm grateful for, and, and just about the history of the relationship and how that just changed the dynamic completely. And I think this is, this is really interesting because sometimes we feel that if we're in conflict, we just have to have all of these fights or go back into our past and learn all of these things. And maybe to start with, at least, it's just as simple as appreciating and expressing gratitude for the moment we have and what, what we have as opposed to what we don't and then starting there. That's beautiful. And acknowledging when we're doing that, that this is the truth about our relationship, that the, the conflicts are projections of our own personal personalities, fears, and insecurities. You know, when I expect you or want you to be a certain way, I want you to be a certain way to make me feel more comfortable to relieve mm-hmm. me of whatever discomfort I have. That's not fair. That's imposing my, you know, me on you. So when I have moments where I really say, say and I have said to you, Sachin, I'm grateful for you being in my life, that is a truth that whenever you and I would, would have any conflict, if we pay attention to that, if we know that that's that what the difference is between truth and illusion, then mm-hmm. we can have fights and we can have conflicts, and we can have severe differences. But we don't let those differences determine the love feelings or trump the love feelings we have for each other. That also brings greater resilience to a relationship and it allows people to bitch about each other or to say things, you know, to, to mm-hmm. say things and, and know that uh, they're going to come back to it. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think in a creative partnership, that's so important. I want to ask about a different kind of conflict. This is actually another lyric from the song. Time to get in or out of the game because nothing ventured, nothing changed. And I think as a creator, we all face that moment where there's almost this internal conflict of do I go for this or not? And making that decision. Can you talk about that? Yes, first of all, what you did is you changed a lyric, I think. I think it's nothing ventured, nothing gained. But I like nothing changed. And if I was writing, if we were... Oh, it is nothing myself. gained, actually. Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. But I like nothing changed. But I think that's good. So so <laughs> I, th- I think, yes, we, we get to that crisis point or, you know, get to that place where we have to go or not, right? And w- when is that? I, I favor myself because there's a part of my personality that, that, is, that loves the risks that I've taken, mm-hmm. the phone calls that I've made when I've been scared to do it putting myself in positions where I wasn't ready, but I knew I was supposed to do it anyway. So for me, in, in terms of my personality, I've experienced a lot of bumps and bruises by being more aggressive, but I feel good that I've done that even when I failed or even when I put, it my, put myself in situations where I, I wasn't ready for it, like I said. In fact, almost anything I've done with any of the famous people, I, I wasn't necessarily read, ready for were some of the big things that I think that people would be impressed by that aren't so, aren't as, to me, as more important than any, it, there's no, there's nobody that I've been blessed to, to serve that isn't an equal of somebody who's famous or not. I mean, that's not about, fame doesn't define that. But in situations where I was around fame, where I was uncomfortable with it, I feel like I risked getting into those situations and then scrambled. Okay. Can you, can you share an example of one of those moments? For you, you know the one that's on screen that's that kind of that comes to mind is with with Metallica is though it's an that it really and I don't have time or desire to fill in the reasons why I feel badly about the way I handled myself. There's a part in the film where I uh, was didn't I, I knew that I that I had more work to be done with them, but I selfishly focused on my wanting to do the work as opposed to gracefully exiting when they wanted me to exit, okay? There's a lot more to that, but that was one of those moments where I put myself before the band 
or or mm-hmm. and it, it certainly worked out okay. But it was there are play, there are times when I and I made I made the cold call to uh, work with in the National Football League with the Rams, and I, I risked a lot there because they I wasn't ready when they said yes. I mean, I mm-hmm. and then and then when I wasn't ready, I felt insecure. And when I felt insecure, I tried to impress people with more than what I was. I'd have to get into a lot of specifics there, but it, it would take time, take up too much time. So almost every situation I've been in, where my ego has been directing traffic, I put myself in situations where I failed. I wasn't. I failed my integrity, and it's different points. Mm-hmm. Overall, I'm grateful for the failures. Overall, I'm I'm uh, forgiving of myself in those situations, and overall, I know that I had great impact and I, I that counts ultimately as the most important thing the most important thing is what they have achieved subsequent to the work and that's evidence but i'm not those would be do-overs if i it, with my human personality because i was not particularly impressed with the way i, I handled myself mm-hmm. and i'm sure those situations are relevant to everybody because we all but to, to answer your question i think everybody has the you all out there and Sachit as well, you have to decide for you when it's a green light or when it's a yellow light or when it's a red light. And sometimes my ambition, mm-hmm. my egocentric ambition, gave me a green light when it should have been a yellow light. It isn't up from, I mean, to answer that question in general, I'm a risk taker. Mm-hmm. And I feel like ultimately I can work my way to the place where I learned from those mistakes. But in terms of talking to you and, and sharing with you and with the audience, please give you know, give consideration to what your motives are, what your motives are at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. If your motives are clean, and that would be another discussion, but if your motives, are, your motives are clean, then it's a green light. If your motives are unclean, then maybe you need to take a look at what, why you're wanting to do this. Is it, for example, an unclean motive as we talked about before would be, I do this and I've done this before because I felt insecure about myself. So this will give me some points against my insecurity, right? This will, this will offset my, my self-doubt. Mm-hmm. No, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So that you wanted to wind up with a song. It's time for us to, to wrap. But that's, so nothing ventured, nothing gained is true. I mean, I, I didn't say that. I mean, I wrote it. Those are words that someone else said. At some point, I've heard that that term before. It just fit nicely into the into the lyrical part of that song. But if nothing, you you have to you can't cheat your upside potential. You can't cheat your dreams by finding excuses. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, everyone can relate to that. One thing that you mentioned is really sort of as an often comment. You cold call the Rams, right? So I think there's a lot of people listening that. Maybe they want to send that message or send that email or make that call. And I know we have to wrap up soon. I guess in short, like if, if someone's at that point, they want to send that email or they want to reach out to that person, what would you tell them? Go for it. But I mean, I mean, it's, I think it's tricky nowadays. I, I thought it would be easier nowadays, but it isn't. Because there's, there, there are, you can theoretically reach out. You can be a part of somebody's mm-hmm. follower. You can follow somebody, right? And you can be, you can be a part of that. And, I personally, well, personally, I'll just say that anybody who reaches out to me, I always respond to, right? Always. I, I can't always be of help to that person. But I think it's great to be able to do that. I mean, if you have that instinct, that's what you want to do. Be prepared to be prepared for a yes. That's really important. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I was surprised by the yeses in some ways. I, I don't want to be surprised by yeses. I want to expect a yes, not because I'm egocentric, but because... If I genuinely want to connect with somebody, then I genuinely want to offer them something. You've done that really well. I think you've done a great job of that. Where you you know that you have value, you know that you could be a value to this person or to this company or whatever, mm-hmm. and so you reach out with that enthusiasm because you care about helping them. So go ahead and do that. And if if they reject it, it's because they're not ready, but it's not because you you haven't tried. And if they reject it, it's because maybe you could fine tune something. And, uh, learn from that in terms of how you approach them, but chances are it just wasn't the right time. But mm-hmm. nev- if we get too comfortable with no's, then we're never going to move off that center. So I guess I would vote yes right now 
And I would say every it, what Trump's that is every one of you out there has you, you need to you need to know what your motives are, right? And then you need mm-hmm. to be ready to communicate in the best way you can. I think that's a great place to end. Before we wrap up, two quick things. One is um we we had talked about potentially doing another episode with getting questions from listeners. So if people want to ask you questions, obviously they can email me. But um, if people want to reach you, where would be the best place to find you in your work? I'd love it to go through you because I want, if you want to talk, I mean, I feel it's important to acknowledge and celebrate the, is this is your first podcast? First one where I'm interviewing someone. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Right. So, so this to me, I mean, it's an honor. It's an extreme honor to be, to be, to be asked to do this. And so to me, I want to honor Sachin and, and I'm a part of the, the podcast so the most important thing is for please for you to write to him, share with him, email, tweet, do whatever people nowadays in your generation do, and, <laughs> right? And and then from there, if there are things that spill over into what I can do to, to, to do another round of this, that's great. If we want to have a question answer down the road sometime, that's cool. Then then the the if you want to get in touch with me, philtoll.com, P H I L dot com right phil i mean phil toll p-h-i-l-t-o-t-o-w-l-e dot com so perfect um so yeah we can reach nice from there and then um email me if you have questions and i, I want to end with um a thank you first to both our friend eric sullivan i was introduced to eric about two months ago just completely randomly and got an email from him the next day being like hey i have a performance coach do you want to meet him and I remember actually when I first saw it, I was like, I don't really know what this is. <laughs> but um, we had a call the next week and the care and grace with it, with he, with which he made that connection. I just appreciate that so much. And then thank you to you because in that first call, I think you identified something in me and you said, you're not meant to be just behind the scenes, which is what has led to all of this. Yeah. So thank you to Eric. Thank you for you. And thank you for thanks. everyone listening. And thank you, Sachin. Thank you. Thanks, back on. Audience. And thanks, audience. Thank you for everything. And- Bless you all. The very best in pursuing your own dreams, right? All right. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Sajid. Bye-bye.
the party was afraid to dance Found the real risk in life is not taking my chance You think you can, yes you will But you can't run your race Hey, it's Sachit again. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, make sure you thank our guests and let them know what you thought. There's easy links to all of their social media, Twitter, Instagram, everything else in the show notes. Secondly, make sure you head on over to creators.show to get new episodes, exclusive guides, partner deals, and additional bonuses. See you next week.